You know, the uh, last two or three weeks we've been talking about coming of age, and uh, it's a sort of bit of a theme for this year, and a sense that uh, God has given us so much, God has entrusted so much to us, and that uh, now he's, uh, he, he's, he's giving us the keys to the kingdom, if you were. You know, in my, my generation, you know, there was still a vestige of the importance of becoming 21, and you were given the key to the door, but that happens when you're about seven now. So uh, that's gone out the window. But there is a sense in which, you know, Jesus said to, to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and that, that is what God gives to the church. It's a sense of, of great privilege, but responsibility. And, and after many years of sort of building church and building community and, and all the rest, you know, I just had this real sense, and a number of us have amended that and agreed with that, that God has, has brought us to a time where we are coming of age, and God is giving, bestowing upon us privilege and favor and blessing, but also with that comes responsibility. Last week, we, we looked at uh, the whole business of serving. Uh, you know, one of the one of the characteristics of a mature church is a church that is a serving church. And not just one another, but, and that is important, we need to model the kingdom, but also that we are willing to serve our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues. Uh, we're uh, especially willing to serve the community. And, and, and so that was something we spoke about, and there's a ministry focus today out there in the atrium. And, uh, and so that is gonna be one of the facets one of the, I like this word hallmark, I used to be a juror, uh, the hallmarks of being a, uh, a community, a church that is coming of age. The second thing, and there are going to be three things, something next week, but the second thing is this life of prayer. And on Tuesday, I just want to just remind you, I mean, I'm sure many of you know, and it's already in your diary. On Tuesday, we have our call to prayer. And, uh, I, you know, I love that, that call to prayer thing. Uh, anyone who believes that prayer is just something that special people do or very lonely people or, or, or whatever, whatever you may have thought about prayer, you know, this is something that is the very oxygen of the Christian. And as I said in my opening remarks when we prayed to begin the service, you know, God the Father has gone to extraordinary lengths to restore relationship with us. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, has died upon the cross in order to remove all sin, all hindrances for those who believe in him, that we may come into the Father's presence. And you know, one of the sort of, one of the dynamics of a healthy relationship, and we had the marriage, uh, you know, tri the, the, the trial of the marriage, uh, connect groups yesterday morning, and the, the film last night, is, is good communication. You know, whichever kind of line of, of, of teaching you, you, you get into with, with or, or, or book you pick up with regards to marriage, it's always about communication, communication, communication. It's no different with God. Sure, it's good to sort of watch the sun go down and be still before your God and just enjoy the wonders of nature or to have a quiet moment when the kids are sort of busy and engaged and you just kind of have a moment of quietness and stillness. That's always been important to me. But the truth of the matter is, you know, the mature Christian, the Christian who has come of age, will always be praying, will always be praying, will always be 
be desiring for more connection with God. So we're going to look at that today, coming of age. And uh, so, not surprisingly, the the first title page is prayer. That's what this talk is about. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. And uh, this week has been quite an interesting week, really, because I've been uh, jetting around a bit. And uh, I went to a European Global Leadership Summit meeting for all of the hosts and board people. And we met with Gary Schwamlein, the US guy. And he was telling us that this global leadership thing that we run in October... And I've always said to you, haven't I, it isn't a sort of a, a, silly, a, a silly sort of jumped up title when we, call about, when we talk about a global leadership summit. This year, all worldwide, 460,000 people on every continent will have gone through the global leadership summit. It is absolutely phenomenal. Now, if you went to it, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been to it or you weren't part of it in, in October, you know, when we did it, uh, can I give you a little hint? There's a wonderful free app. It's called GLS Next. GLS Next. It's free. Download it. And every day, there's a kind of a little, um, little thought, no more than a minute, from people like Bill Hybels, Patrick Lencioni, these leaders of church and industry and nonprofits, uh, and it'll just feed that side of your your personality. So check that out if you haven't done already. But I mean, there's tremendous. I mean, Gary was the first to say, "This only God could have done this." It's a video presentation. Duh. Not that sexy, if you don't mind me using that word. But because it is God-breathed, it has gone like wildfire. Tremendously exciting. The other sort of global thing happening this week, of course, was was the, uh, the, the, what did they call it? Not the reinstatement, the instatement, the enthronement. What is it? The inauguration. Thank you, the inauguration. You knew there was a proper word for it. Of Donald Trump. Yay. We really must pray for America. We must pray for that man. And if I was going to sit down with Donald Trump, I, 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 was just, I came across a little thing about Abraham Lincoln this week just by chance. I don't think I'd realize that Abraham, um, Abraham Lincoln, before he became president of America, he was a lawyer, as many of you know, he had gone bankrupt twice. He was a very poor lawyer. He failed and failed and failed again. And yet, when he, against all odds and expectations, became president of the United States, he instigated, or was the catalyst, shall we say, of one of the most difficult, horrendous, and bloodiest of civil wars. My daughter lives in Tennessee now, and I wasn't aware of the history. It is appalling. That civil war. And you know what the key issue was? Of course you do. The liberation of slaves. And he took the flack. He took it like a donkey, dumb donkey being beaten in some far off place. He took the flack, the aggro, and was ultimately assassinated. But they won the emancipation of the slaves. Lots of way to go still, but an extraordinary man. And I would say to Donald Trump, emulate his persistence, 
emulate his compassion. He inconvenienced himself for the sake of others. And that's putting it lightly. And emulate his dependence. <laughs> that's not a quality that we in the West are noted for. We elevate wealth, power, and independence. America first. Abraham Lincoln said this, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Now that's a president. That's a president. Someone who has the humility to know that he doesn't know it all and has the sheer good sense to get on his knees before the living God. Let's just pray for Donald Trump. Father God, we have uh, looked at the election and the inauguration with a certain amount of awe and wonder. Many are celebrating, many are in despair. But Father God, whatever the past, we pray that you, Lord God, will visit that nation and that Lord God, Donald Trump might become a Cyrus type, one who almost, in spite of himself, is a blessing to his people and to others and to foreigners and immigrants and all the rest. Let your will be done and your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Turn with me, please. It'll come up on the screen to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to start there. A couple of little verses we're going to look at today. And... Uh, yeah, where are we? Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. I gave you that little thing at the end of the worship time. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. That's out of 1 Thessalonians 5. This is out of Philippians chapter 4, a very similar passage. It has resonances. Rejoice, count your blessings. Do what grandma said, count your blessings. Whatever your situation or circumstances, count your blessings. Choose care and kindness. Uh, you know, uh, this is something that I've set my heart on doing because if you'd met me when I was 26, a few years before I started this, uh, when I started the church, I was a pretty aggressive young man. And that aggression was fueled by insecurity and uh, it meant that I wasn't always very kind. In fact, I wasn't always very kind to my family, my kids, my wife, uh, but... She stuck with me, uh, and that's why she's a keeper, you know. But over the years, I have, by the grace of God, chosen kindness. When I've had a choice, I've tried to choose patience. And I've got some ways to go, but uh, that is a choice. Pray that you might make that same choice. Some people see it as weakness. Some people misinterpret it, but it's a character and a characteristic that we find in the very heart of Christ, and so if it's all right by him, it's all right by me.
We're Christians, after all. Thirdly, don't worry, don't be anxious. This is something else. I've told you on other previous occasions. I've had to work on that, you know, anxieties and fears and not trusting God. And I realized that that was a sin. And of course, when you identify a sin in your life, you don't just say sorry. It's about doing the opposite, choosing to believe, choosing to trust in spite of circumstances. And that's another part of my journey. So rejoice, choose care and kindness, don't worry and be grateful. Remember how last week, I, or two weeks ago, I said one of the hallmarks of a, another hallmark of a community that has come of age is thankfulness, is gratitude. You begin to realize, you don't take things for granted like you do when, a child, when, when, when you're a child. I'm going to my grandson's birthday party this afternoon. He's, I love him to bits, I take a bullet for him. But I know what'll happen, we'll come to the door, he'll say, hi, Papak, and he'll rip the present and my omni charge off. <laughs> and you know, you know, you think I'm grateful, little so-and-so, you know. <laughs> I don't, I don't actually think that. I think I probably did do years ago, but I don't do that now, because he's six. He's not mature, not, he's not grown up. But when you've grown up and when you've had to make your way in the world and when you've realized that things don't come easy and it's no, you do, there's no real entitlement, that, thing, that things have to be worked for and thing has, you have to work in t as part of a team. I mean, this is a te what you see here is a team effort. As you do that, you become grateful, ever more grateful for the people around you who support you and give you the benefit of the doubt, who mentor you and who correct you. And ever more grateful for the God who's created you and given you this second chance in knowing Jesus. Yeah, that's the hallmark. So let's be a grateful church. Let's be a serving church. Let's be a praying church. Hindrances to prayer. You know, everybody, you know, you haven't got to be a Christian for more than five minutes when, uh, when, when you kind of, you hear at some point, some preacher, some teacher, some home group leader, some friends say, yeah, you've got to pray about it. Let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. We had a, uh, a theological student here a few years ago. From, uh, he was a very, very interesting guy. He was from Oak Hill College, which is a very, very, very conservative theological college. Not um, charismatic, not Pentecostal or whatever you might call us to be. We call ourselves empowered evangelicals. It certainly wasn't that. And he came and spent, how long did he stay with us, Rich? It was about four, four or five weeks. It's a couple of months, was it? Yeah. Something like that, a couple of months. Sweet guy. And certainly we, you know, we had some very interesting discussions about things we did in church. But at the end of it, when he was giving his sort of review, and we asked him, we invited him to two, he said, I will say this about you. He says, you're a praying church. He said, a lot of Christians say, let's pray about it, or I'll pray about that. He said, but you'll, you stop, literally, in a meeting, or you say, let's pray about it, and you do it. He said, I've not come across that before. Good on you. So if we say, let's pray about it, let's pray about it. If we talk about Donald Trump, let's not just talk about him, let's pray about him. We're a praying church. I, 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 I boy, that, if you... If you'd given me a brand new Morgan, two plus two out there, I don't think, well, I might have been a bit more pleased, I don't know, but, um, you know, let's be honest here. <laughs> Sorry, Lord, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was pleased, anyway, you get the, uh, get the drift. I was pleased. 
But it is a high reputation. It's a high, I want to live up to that. I want us to be a praying church. We're known for a number of things, and increasingly so, and nationally so, but I'm not hearing people say we're a praying church yet. Let's work on that one. Let's work on that one. This country, this nation, this community, our families, our friends, this church needs prayer. Let's pray. Make call to prayer, you know, a, a must-go meeting. Eight o'clock on Tuesday, I'll see you there. It only goes on for about an hour and a half or so. Make it a must-do, must must-be-at must meeting. So hindrances then to prayer. You know, this is not often talked about. And whenever I do talk about it, people come up to me and say, thank you. Oh, that was really interesting. Thank you. Paul Bilheimer says, Satan does not care how many people read about prayer. And I'm going to add, think about prayer, hear a sermon about prayer, talk about prayer, say, well, let's pray about it. Satan does not care what information you acquire or books you read or books you write if only, if only he can keep you from praying. Let's just talk about it. Let's run another meeting, which I won't go to, but let's, let's you know, we must have the prayer meeting. You know, Satan doesn't mind us talking about it or preaching about it as long as we don't do it. Let's do it. The things that, the weapons he uses against us, first and foremost, is a sense of unworthiness. You know, that's why at the end of that first uh, talk I did on this coming of faith, uh, coming of age thing, I, we use that little Dan Stevers film, which you can watch on YouTube, I think, called Identity. You know, the, the pastoral department, the restore department, our you know, healing ministries, our pastors, our connect group leaders, understand the importance of, of knowing your identity in Christ. It's not what you've done. It's not how hard you've tried. It's not what sacrifices you've made. It's all about what Jesus has done. Makes you a son or a daughter. Keep that one center stage. Because many people don't pray. So it's not that they don't think prayer is a good thing, but they just say, well, you know, God's not going to listen to me. I mean, grief, you know, I need to get my life together. And you may need to get your life together with some help, support, some prayer. But the truth of the matter, it must not stop you praying. So the first hindrance is that Satan undermines the who we are. And the who we are is all about who he is and what he's done for us. The second thing has to be said is sin. Maybe you've got uh, these little, maybe you've got a little secret indulgence going on. A little what I call article of affection. You know, I took my, my young, first thing I took up uh, my youngest grandson to uh, the zoo on, and we just lived down the road from the zoo. And we took him to the zoo, and I was walking to the shop, and he's actually not all that bothered about things like soft toys. He's never, he's a real little guy. He loves his trains and his cars. It's extraordinary, isn't it? But we're walking through, and there's this plastic leopard, one of these little sort of, you know, little things. And he goes, ah! And he grabs it, and boy, could we, we couldn't get it out of his hand. What was that about? Anyway, I finally prized it out of his fingers and put it back, and we went and had a snack. And then I felt bad, you know, oh my gosh, it's 4.95. I mean, what the heck, Chris, you know? Come on, lighten up. So I snuck back, and I bought it. And the moment he saw it, he grabbed it, and he wouldn't let go of it. He wouldn't let go of Sam's credit card either, but uh, <laughs> he's no fool, that boy. 
carried him all the way back to the car, holding a credit card and this tiger. He's, you know, <laughs> crazy. Articles of affection, things that we won't let go of. Oh, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want more of you, but I just want to bring that with me. <laughs> it's a little innocent thing. Lord God. I know it. I know it's a bit naughty, but you know. Stop this plea bargaining. Whoa. Stop it. And it's not just about saying sorry. The only way you deal with sin is through repentance, turning away from it. Get prayer. Confess your sins to one another. Give someone permission to hold you to account. Hey, bro, we haven't talked for a while. How are you doing? Any, um, anything you want to tell me? No, that's great. God bless you. That's really good. What? Oh, man, let's pray. It's okay. It, let's pray. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and he is the righteous. Whew. Let's deal with it. Let's get serious with sin. Let's repent. Let's not just keep saying, sorry, 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 sorry. I didn't mean to. Sorry, sorry, God. <laughs> we need to repent. Turn our back on it and step into the light. Choose life, to use that cliche. Second, if, if you're in sin, you'll never be able to look the Father in the face or approach the throne because you'll just be worried about what he's going to say about this article of affection. Well, like, yeah, I know, but you'll always turn from the light because you'll always be afraid you'll say, that, yeah, no, what's that behind your back? That, I want to deal with that. Hindrances to prayer. You will never, you will never overcome and you will never become whom God wants you to be and come of age if you can't look the Father in the face, figuratively speaking. And thirdly, you don't know what to say. And this is very common. You don't know what to say. Yep, you know, you're okay with God, but you, every time you sit down and pray, it's like, <sighs> you want to pray, and then you're thinking about, I really should cut the law. Oh, no, no. Your mind goes everywhere. I mean, it happens to me all the time. You don't know what to say. That's why the disciples, I think, went to Jesus. You know, I've said many a time before, you know, they were good Jewish boys. They knew how to pray. And yet in, in Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, and let's just read that, 1 to 4. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. They, they were praying, young man. It was part of the culture. But they saw in Jesus and in their spiritual betters, if you like, another dynamic, another quality. Teach us to pray like you. That's a good prayer. And in response to that, and I've often said this too, isn't it, you, you could ask the question, if this is so critical and so important, why did, the, why did Jesus wait to be asked? Was it that he didn't think it was important? It was just something that was important to the disciples? No, he was waiting for it to become a felt need. Some things you have to wait until people ask the right questions. And Jesus was, wanted them to have a dynamic life of prayer, but they weren't ready yet. They were still locked into religion. But there came that point where they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. 
And at that point, at that point, when they say teach us to pray, he goes, yes. Doggone it. Right. And he takes the moment, sees the day. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father is a reminder of our identity in Christ, our position before him. Hallowed be your name. You're reminding yourself of who he is. He's not just a good bloke. He's not just, you know, your mate. You know, God and I have a bit of a thing going here. You know, my life's not, my, my, my life not may, look, may look good. You know, I'm not really a, don't go to church or anything like that. You know, but, you know, me and God, we've got a bit of an understanding. No, you haven't. You twit. <laughs> He's not your best mate. Father, holy is your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm adding to the script a little bit. Your kingdom come. Let your presence come. We want your presence in this life, this world, our life. We want you to intervene, to interfere, have it your way, Lord God. Your way, not our way. Give us each day our daily bread. Yes, there's a place for asking for provision. Don't feel bad about that. Don't, if you're a new Christian, new Christians will often say, well, you know, I have this, I, this thing going on in my life, but, you know, God's so busy, you know, he's got, you know, Syria to worry about. You know, he can handle it. Pray for Syria, but give us today our daily bread. Our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. I loved what Jenna said, the forgiveness thing. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. You know, forgiveness, salvation is free, but it does not come cheap. It costs Jesus his life. But when we seek God and when we ask for forgiveness, there is an expectation. Jesus taught about this on many an occasion that we would offer the same grace to others. If you're wanting forgiveness, you must forgive. Be like Jesus. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those, forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Some versions say deliver us from evil. You know, uh, I think that's a good prayer. A bit of a nonsense. It's a good prayer. Lord, I don't want to be surprised by circumstances. I don't want to, Lord, I don't want to inadvertently step into a snare that the enemy has set for me. I think I told you before, years and years and years ago, 30, 40, 30 years ago, I was invited to a, a, a new young evangelist's um, mentoring session by the, you know, Billy Graham, which was a huge off, uh, honor. He was over here, wanted to meet some young British evangelists, there's about 15, 20 of us. And uh, met all his team, a tremendous thing up in Sheffield. And uh, the great day when the man himself was going to come and just sort of chew the cud with us and we were going to fire questions at him. And uh, we were all waiting in this little conference room. And the first thing we knew about that he'd arrived was that the doors flew open and a couple of guys who I kid you not looked like sort of uh, secret service agents came in and looked around the room. And then, uh, then Billy Graham came in. And I turned to a friend and I whispered out the side of my mouth, 
What do you think? Some, we're going to assassinate him? I sort of found it vaguely amusing. I was a, and then he came in and somebody very quickly asked him the question, can I just ask, was that, was that right? When you came in, a couple of guys came in and they sort of checked the room and stuff like that. And Billy Graham was disarmingly kind of um, mild-mannered and generous. And he just said, oh. he said I'm sorry. I, well, you know, um, I've discovered and been told many a time that sometimes, uh, you know, that college rag weeks and stuff like that, they've, they've hidden prostitutes in the room. For example, semi-naked prostitutes, and they're just dying to get a picture of me with a prostitute hanging around my neck. I thought, wow. We all went a bit quiet. See, Billy Graham did, he said, his prayer was, as is mine, lead me not into temptation. They, the team had thought that through. What would happen? What, you know, Billy's, Billy's reputation was just second to none. Nobody, there was never a, a whiff of a scandal for all his many long years. All the opportunities and all the people who were kowtowing his favor, not once was, a, was there a whiff of scandal. And part of that was that Billy was taking seriously about the whole business of falling into temptation. He would not expose himself or walk in the ways of the wicked, as it says in Psalm 1. Leave me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. And we have an enemy and he does not wish us well. And I pray for you as I pray for my family. And the team knows this. I pray, keep us as the apple of your eye, hide us under the shadow of your wings and confuse the enemy concerning us. That's how easy it comes off my lips. I could say it in my sleep. Because when all is said and done, we're in a, bat a battle. This is a war. Therefore, we must pray. It is our greatest weapon. John Wesley said, prayer is where the action is. Prayer is where the action is. By way of response to this message, I just want you to sit quietly and reflect. We're going to run a little video while that comes on. If Cheeto and the team can just quietly slip up in, we'll go straight into worship afterwards. But but just let the Holy Spirit settle on your spirit and confirm stuff I've been saying. And please, let's take it up a notch. Let's start praying like grown-ups. Okay? Bless you. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> 